is Charmaine here. Please note that in this episode, we will be talking about mental health and there are mentions of suicide which I know can be distressing. If you or a loved one is currently going through a lot, please do not hesitate to reach out to the resources available in our episode description. Shangar, and you're listening to The Bar. Hi, Sungwai. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How about yourself? Good, thank you. Welcome to The Bar, Sungwai. This is your first Thanks. time, obviously, on the show. Uh, maybe you can tell us a bit mm-hmm. of, about yourself. Yeah, so I'm Al Sungwai. I'm a, what you would call a consultation liaison psychiatrist. Basically, I did have medical school in Malaysia uh, with IMU, International Medical University, and then the other half at Thomas Jefferson University in Philadelphia in the U.S., then I went on to do a psychiatry residency, which is a specialization in psychiatry. I was chief resident there, and then later on doing a fellowship, a one-year program training, especially in consultation liaison psychiatry, which is a sub-specialization in uh, mental health issues, especially in the physically ill patients and medically and surgically ill patients. Okay, how many years have you been practicing for? Mm, since med school, this would be my seventh year okay nice that's mm-hmm. a very long time as well almost 10 years mm-hmm. what are the common cases that you normally come across well with all mental health basically the, the more common ones unfortunately uh like major depression right someone who's feeling sad to the point it's not affecting their ability to function uh, anxiety leading to like panic attacks or just a general sensation sometimes even physical sensations where they get like chest pains they can't breathe uh, they're going to panic attacks um, there are patients of course who unfortunately suffer from schizophrenia where they can't they cannot even uh, trust their own sensations hearing voices you know seeing things that are not there usually those kind of cases <laughs> okay and yeah, in Malaysia, especially with the pandemic, is it becoming more normal to speak about mental health, you feel? Or are we still really lagging behind? So personally, I don't see any patients in Malaysia, right? And so I've only essentially been viewing the landscape of psychiatry from an outside perspective. And based on what I've seen, I think the stigma is still definitely very strong. Even for personal experience, we don't think we talk that much about mental health, you know, even within my family or with my friends, right? And so I think the stigma is still very strong. I do have people who would contact me saying, you know, they are suffering from this and this, but they're a little hesitant to go and seek help. The worry of, you know, what if I'm seen at the clinic or what if, you know, they know me um, or even within, unfortunately, and this is really unfortunate, right? During the pandemic, we all know that the mental health has declined uh, all over the world especially among healthcare providers who were essentially pushed to the brink, right? And we had to close down. Um, But these people who unfortunately need help are the people who are reluctant to get help because then they're looked down upon. Or even within the government sectors, they are afraid to seek other psychiatrists' help who are also working in the government sector because then they might know each other or they might talk. Um, and because of this fear, they don't seek help in the end. And like you said, there are many different medical conditions when it comes to mental health. Mm-hmm. I thought of focusing on one. I wanted to speak to you something much closer to home, something that mm-hmm. I definitely felt during the pandemic especially. Mm-hmm. Um, burnout. So like, are there enough consideration mm-hmm. firstly given towards mm-hmm. uh, burnout as, as a condition uh, that people feel? <laughs> 
I don't think so. So technically, burnout is not one of uh, a diagnosable condition, right? We don't diagnose burnout as a doctor. But at the same time, we see its really real effects because we don't talk about wellness as much. We talk about productivity. We talk about how much you know you complete your work, how fast you do it, not how well you are when you're doing it. And so it has been a really big impact. I don't think that we've truly measured what the impact was. Some people, I think, would do research in you know, how many of their employees would miss time,、uh, who would quit、uh, from the company, and that's it. Not how well the you know the employee is actually doing while they're still at the company itself. As long as they're producing something, they think it as oh the employee's fine. At least that's what it appears to me. That's the mindset for the, most companies. Relating back to my experience, when I look back, I I wonder how I've gone、uh, for like you know five years in in an environment that's very high pressure. You know that there's a target that you have to meet. There are so many different things that I think I think one of the easiest way to be、mm-hmm. in a difficult situation is when there are so many things that are out of your control. Um, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. But the performance at work is all dependent on things that you personally could not control. I think、mm-hmm. to a certain extent, I I coped all these years through my ho- hobbies as、mm-hmm. my passions, especially、uh, going traveling.、Mm-hmm. And then the pandemic happened, and suddenly I can't travel anymore. Right? Obviously, none of us could.、Mm-hmm. We were all stuck at home. Mm-hmm. And for me, there are two parts to it. Initially, it was being stuck at home with a lot of people. I think that came with with its own struggle. And then I I moved、mm-hmm. out, thinking it would solve my issues.、Mm-hmm. I moved out and I lived alone、uh, in a different、mm-hmm. space. And then suddenly, it was the isolation <laughs> that hit me. That、um, mm-hmm. now I can I guess now I can say it in a candid manner. But if I can be really honest, there were times. A few months ago, actually, when it felt terrible, when I really couldn't cope with, I guess, the isolation and what felt like real burnout, and and this happens. And one thing I realize is you don't really realize it doesn't it's it、mm-hmm. it doesn't really warn you. It's something that you、mm-hmm. just suddenly feel, right? Like it creeps up. Yeah, it just creeps up, right? Like um. So、mm-hmm. for me, what happened was, I remember. Things were going great at work, you know, and I thought, you know, what I, I I'm still doing well, everything is still good. And next thing I know, there I'm sitting there and looking at my balcony, and I'm like, oh, you know, wonder what it'll be like to just jump off. And it wasn't even gradual. I remember、um, I had still just celebrated one of the best quarters I've ever had, you know. Things、mm-hmm. were all looking up. Everything seemed positive, and before I before I know it, there I am, thinking of suicide,、mm-hmm. and I don't know what I could even tell myself. Looking back to, and I guess this is why I I wish to speak to you about this. I I don't know what I could have tell myself, and I I don't know what other people could tell themselves when they're in、mm-hmm. the situation. But retrospectively, looking back, I'm like, gosh. It was so easy to just go so deep into、mm-hmm. a dark place. Is this normal? So emotions are very subjective. Unfortunately, it can also change really slowly,、uh, to the point that you might not even recognize yourself changing. Right. So for burnout, when you're working at a company for a long time, the stress upon stress upon stress, feeling stuck, 
I think that sort of put yourself in a, a emotional cage where you can't get out, and then that builds up uh, to a point that I guess you then break down. Well, first off, I'm really glad that you didn't jump or take any action to hurt yourself. But uh, at the same time, that fleeting thought, I think it's unfortunately sometimes too common. A lot of people would have some sort of suicidal ideations, uh, a fleeting thought. Not that you know we all think about dying or that we want to kill ourselves. Absolutely not. But there might occasionally be times like, oh, you know, when you're really sad, and you might think, like, what if something happens, or what if I, I I take an action, or what if I hurt myself? And if you can let that go, and if it just goes away, and that that's fine. Uh, what if that thought lingers? I think that's when it becomes a problem. We might have you know this. Thoughts that will come up here and there, uh, and then it starts building. Uh, that's, I think, unfortunately, the, the scary moment. Um, what we typically would do, at least from a mental health standpoint, uh, a professional mental health professional standpoint, is that then we try to help a patient create a safety plan, right? Because like how you felt, these urges are usually very spontaneous. It's quick, and thank God, usually it goes away really quickly as well. So we sort of just needs to come up with a plan. To help you get over that hump, as it were, and how we can do that is by creating this the safety plan that I mentioned, and they're usually about four steps. One, um, you try to essentially create uh, something that you typically would like to do, something that brings you joy, something that gives you into a good headspace. That would be the first step, and that might start getting you over that hump. If not, you know, you try to think of a space, uh, a different place that you can get to. Um, that can sort of get you into a better mind space. So if let's just say you know going to the garden or you know the football field, um, wherever that brings you joy, if you can get there, that might be also helpful. Or then after the third step would be finding people that you can call your support system. Uh, and fourth, essentially people that you know, professionals that you can call, whether it's you know 999 or I think the National Suicide Helpline. All these numbers, it's good to then have it on hand. So essentially your safety plan, if let's just say you have all the suicidal thoughts and it keeps coming on, or if you know someone uh, who would have suicidal thoughts, it would be useful to, you know, one today or, or one day sit down, come up with this list. What you would do if let's just say you have these thoughts and it doesn't go away, because by the time usually they get into step one or step two, you start realizing like, I actually don't want to die. There are a lot of things in life that are still worth living. In fact, in most studies where we, you know, when they interviewed uh, patients who jump off the bridge, if they survive, most people who jumped off, all of them actually, in fact, uh, regretted it the moment they stepped off the ledge. So and if we can stop it from taking action or prevent it, that those thoughts will go away. So at times, it's more of an impulsive choice that you don't actually necessarily want to live by after you make that leap, right, that jump. Yeah. It can be very complicated. You know, there are patients who, you know, where we think about where, oh, if they are, they are terminal end of their life, you know, they have cancer and they think that it's an easy way out or, or something of that nature, it gets more complex. But in essence, most suicides, unfortunately, is very impulsive. It's an action where, you know, they feel so, so strongly and the urge is so strong, the anger, the sadness, whatever that emotion is, drives them that they can't handle it, then impulsively want to stop that emotion. But like we've talked about, most of the time, if you're able to get them to get over that hump, where the emotions reduce a little bit, uh, they wouldn't want to die. 
you spoke about having hobbies and you spoke about having a support system mm-hmm. one thing that we have to take into consideration is the fact that in order to even seek out for support in order f- to speak to someone you first need to be mindful that something is actually wrong mm-hmm. with yourself or like you know that you're having a tough time absolutely what about people who don't have that mindfulness what about people who are not aware about what's actually wrong what's your advice for those people i guess those people wouldn't be listening in and those people will probably not you know care too much about their burnout or mental health issues right uh, so it's a little bit of a catch 22 but then it kind of unfortunately would have to depend on the people around them to tell them so if you know like your friends who are unfortunately not very insightful and yet you see them suffering from this effects Uh, it would be helpful to just point out, not like, oh, hey, look, you know, you're obviously burnt out or you're obviously depressed, but as like, hey, you know, just ask them, are you doing okay? You seem to be hurting. Uh, that would be really helpful. But the individual itself, um, that's that's really difficult because I don't have an answer. The same way where, you know, if someone who's very sick with cancer or who keeps coughing. And they just keep telling themselves like, oh, I keep coughing, but it's not a problem. It's fine. I don't need to seek help. What can you actually do, you know, if they don't want help? Then that's where, you know, I think a lot of uh, psychiatrists or mental health people get frustrating because a lot of people are not very insightful about mental health. And so then they don't seek help or they don't want help. Uh, and then it doesn't seem like anything will change for them. And yet then they say like, oh, you know, it's not important. You know, help is not important. For a physical illness, there's always a physical manifestation. Like you said, you, you cough mm-hmm. for fever, you, you you know, you feel that. But like, well, one thing that concerns me, and there's two parts to this question. Number one, you, you're not really able to tell uh, if you're going through. No, so that's a great point. That's in a way true, but not really. So, for example, like burnout, it's along the lines of your emotions feeling more depressed. Right. So a lot of the symptoms, if you call burnout, is similar to major depression. So usually when people get burnout, they become depressed right? emotionally. They also have then display the symptoms of major depression. They either reduce their appetite or they start sugar craving. They start you know, snacking on ice cream. That's the most common at night. You know, I just want a vanilla ice cream or something. Sleep gets affected. They either feel like they want to sleep all day and yet they can't fall asleep or they just can't fall asleep at all because it feels like their mind just keeps running and running and running, even though it might not be anything important or they just keep thinking about you know things that happened the day before. Um, guilt is another one. Believe it or not, right? Sometimes when you when you're burnt out or you're depressed, even small little things, you get keep hanging on to it and you just can't let it go. You start blaming yourself, thinking you could do better, thinking that you should do better. And then it's a very negative self-perception that you might have. Even physically, you could actually feel it where you feel like you're not moving as fast as you used to. You just can't get yourself to get going and doing things. Um, so all this, even though we consider that an emotional problem, but it manifests itself physically too, that you can actually see it uh, if you're, you know, like you said, insightful enough to sort of catch it. Okay. And the second part was going to be about Asians. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, us being Asians, mm-hmm. we're notoriously known for mm-hmm. not really expressing ourselves. Okay, mm-hmm. honestly, let, let's talk about it. Like, I, I'll be specific. The traits that you said that that one would carry if they're not really in a stable place mentally, right? Mm-hmm. For us, that's another Asian father. Mm-hmm. You know, like the characteristics that that we associate. We are so used to seeing 
Asian people generally like just either be and correct me if I'm wrong but like you know either moody or not really expressive mm-hmm. and we don't really know if there's anything actually going on behind um within their mind it's been so normalized to a certain extent number one to mm-hmm. to not really express yourself when you're feeling mm-hmm. down and number two uh for us to not check on anyone's mental state mm-hmm. you know when it seems like something is not right mm-hmm. so culturally what could we do about this i think you're already doing it right especially you know when you're hosting talks like this uh you know you're ex- sharing about what you experience i think that's all that we can do to expose as many people to this problem then people will gain insight into it because unfortunately if us to say you know we continue to keep quiet uh we don't talk about it then we will continue to be like what you said like an asian father who is very stoic and we just keep things to themselves and not say anything but uh until we get to that point where we start talking about it ourselves and then maybe they feel like it's okay to actually talk about it that this is something that everybody's experiencing let's talk about it get it out in the open and then you know maybe we can fix it uh so that our lives become better i think that's the best thing that we can do so setting the precedents setting the precedents absolutely Uh, but also even uh, among friends not just like oh you know do a talk show or share it with everybody but even like you said if like as an asian father right if you're very stoic doesn't mean that you know your family members or your kids wouldn't want to talk to you too so the same way you know if you have a friend if you know someone who is that way who wouldn't share uh, you may not always do a check in but maybe it is important for you to just stop by and you know ask uh, stop by meaning you know, whatever that means whether it's physically or on Instagram you know you DM that person and like hey you know been seeing your posts it's all negative what's going on here um just show that you're available to talk i think that really helps already okay going back to the time that i was feeling this way i think i didn't want to for such an extroverted person like me mm-hmm. beyond just the physical isolation that I was in i think i was mm-hmm. also socially isolating myself because mm-hmm. i just didn't feel like communicating with anyone mm-hmm. you know which is so out of character mm-hmm. for someone like me right and i actively avoided any form of communication with the outside world um mm-hmm. and there even with the few people that i wanted to speak to mm-hmm. i think it came to a point where i felt extremely misunderstood mm-hmm. and that hurt me even more cuz mm-hmm. you know you're in a situation where you feel like there are certain people that you could rely on there are expectations that when you behave out of character there will be people out there your so-called support system would realize and would check mm-hmm. in on you um or even when you reach out mm-hmm. that you would expect them to to address it but i realized that's not always the mm-hmm. case that that was also a key lesson i learned grief sure. works very differently for everyone mm-hmm. um and you cannot expect people to relate to your state of mind or the grief that you are facing at a certain mm-hmm. time and i don't even know how what what to ask related to this but <laughs> but you know in a situation like that where even your support system are not there like what could you possibly do so that's a very unfortunate situation if you are if you ever find yourself in that place where you feel like your support system don't understand you or is not present right it's it's essentially what we look for when we 
uh, worry about prognosis. Like how well is a patient going to do? What is the success rate that you know he, he or she will improve? Uh, and one of the, the items that we look for is, does he or she have a support system? And is it a good one? Right? Because then the chances of them recovering or getting better is definitely much, much higher. Um, and your question essentially is, if I have a patient who doesn't have a support system, what can we do then? Like, that's, that sucks. Uh, but then, unfortunately, you require yourself to be more insightful. Like your question you had before. If, if let's just say, you're not insightful at all um, and you don't have a support system, then, unfortunately, the chances of you know getting help or improving is going to be very slim, uh, to be honest. Right? That's just what the data would show. Uh, but if you're insightful enough, uh, of course, if you have a support system, the chances of recovering is much higher. But if you don't, you know, there are still things that you can at least work on yourself. And we call them coping skills, right? Things that you can do to improve and make sure that you can get yourself to a better headspace. Um, there are activities, you know, like mindfulness meditation, uh, relaxation methods, such as deep breathing, uh, progressive muscle relaxation, things that you can sort of almost gain control over your physical feelings that you have so that then it will influence uh, emotionally how you feel. Some people would then seek you know, professional help if they feel like, okay, this is too much. And so either if, let's say, a very severe case typically, or if you're open to using medications, you seek out a psychiatrist, um, or if you feel like you, know, you want to speak to someone, work on these coping skills, um, there are therapists, who would be able to so meet with you, who are profession, supposedly professionally trained uh, to work on uh, these things. Okay, thank you. No, I think that's really helpful and I hope that's re- that is mm-hmm. um, relatable to people out there. I mean, if they are experiencing that. Mm-hmm. D- were there a lot mm-hmm. more cases during the pandemic? Absolutely. Uh, personally for you and also visibility that you have? Were there a lot more people who were struggling? Yeah, uh, so... For myself, I think, unfortunately, uh, there are not enough psychiatrists anyway, and so it's it's always been busy. But in terms of like actual data voice, uh, you know, based on what the American Psychiatric Association has been tracking, or globally around the world, everybody's been tracking, mental health, unfortunately, has definitely worsened. Uh, the number of people who are seeking help has definitely increased, as well as, you know, in terms of like the severity of each cases. Alcohol usage, I think, increased dramatically during the first few months. And even then, unfortunately, when you're using substances such as alcohol to numb the emotions, initially when you first drink it, you might feel better. Uh, Then it worsens everything else. Um, So it's uh, something that piles on and on and on. And so I don't think that as the pandemic is getting, I guess, better for some of the countries, the mental health is still lagging behind and people are still suffering. Yeah, whether it's from still the little bit of restrictions that we have left or just unfortunately a, a sort of a lingering effects. For some COVID patients, they have a long COVID. They still have symptoms months after. Um, so the world is still suffering from it months after and even from, still from some of the effects mental health-wise. Having visibility on how um, things work in back in the US, um, what kind of support do you think would be helpful to be to receive from government, from organizations, from healthcare companies, and even private organizations? I think a better, more systematic kind of wellness programs. I was looking through essentially the data in Malaysia in terms of, you know, how 
much emphasis companies that the government has made in in mental health and i think they are definitely more open to it at this point right seeing the effects firsthand themselves as well as you know since we're more open about it now most companies would have some sort of program or initiative unfortunately based on what i've heard uh, just talking to people uh, and reading about it on their websites the program isn't really structured it's a, it's more of a, a very token initiative you know let's everybody's doing it so let's just put something out there so my employees say that we did something but it's not structured to the point where okay hey there's this helpline uh there's these things that we're doing there's this educational programs that you know let's talk about depression let's talk about how you're feeling let's talk about what is wellness uh even honestly time off when it comes to work burnout right so everybody's working at home at this pandemic or at least during the early phase of the pandemic and most people would tell me uh that it it's worse than working in the office right because your bosses text you at 9 p.m. and then expecting you to hand in their work the next morning and it's like that would never happen in the office you know the lines between work and home and rest essentially has blurred uh during this pandemic and that's that's not good right i think there needs to be some line drawn companies should have policies uh that okay your bosses or you should only contact your colleagues or staff about work related matters from this time to this time you know after that just go and get some rest you know we can always start back the next day uh things like this or schedule only meet uh, schedule meetings only during work time hours if you personally you know if you're able to at home you draw a line uh whether physically draw a line or at least you know mentally like there's a certain space for work and then after that the rest of the couch your you know your bed you know don't do any work there so that you feel like okay I'm heading to work in the next room or uh in my living room and then once I get out of that place I'm off work so that you yourself draw a line to if your company is well, not willing to okay that's amazing thanks for everything that you've shared uh today is there a place that people could reach out to you are you open <laughs> for for people to reach out to you professionally <laughs> or even like as as yeah as a as a professional uh, to give talks and all is there a place we can reach out to you unfortunately if let's say in malaysia no because uh based it's a very long story but based on the uh current procedures of getting a to be a psychiatrist in malaysia you need to get something called a Uh, NSR National Specialist Registration done, and it's it's taking quite a while. Uh, but there are a lot of people out there that you know you can seek um, help from, um, even like for therapy. That might be a good place to start if you feel like your symptoms aren't too severe. Um, so there are a lot of like telemedicine places, uh, doc on call, doc to us, uh, to you know that GPs, usually general practitioners, um, that would be able to refer you to uh, more resources. Um, there are also like I think some. Uh, I can't remember all the names now but there are a few online therapy based that actually you know on their website they write a lot of different topics about burnout and different resources that you have so honestly google's your best friend even that it's all online now thank god that you know we have all these resources online too that you can actually reach out for help and then if let's say you ever feeling like you know suicidal the national suicide hotline or uh, befriend us they always have someone that you know you can call to if you really need you know, help there okay that's really good um and i guess to contact you as a president of the IMU alumni society is that do do you want to plug that 
Oh, uh, well, if there's any IMU uh, graduates, uh, yeah, please reach out. I'm happy to connect. Um, so uh, IMU essentially has established this uh, IMU Alumni Association. This is actually our first year as a legally recognized society. So we're really excited about that. And so we're trying to get as much you know, alumni to come back, you know, get involved, get in touch so that we can connect. So if anyone's hearing this, please reach out. Okay. Uh, we have a website. Just Google IMU Alumni Association. All right. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time. <laughs> really appreciate that. Anytime. Thanks, Shanga. On that note, that's all the time we have. Until next time, take care. Mm-hmm.